Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. My guest uh, in this episode, uh, I think it's, it's really apt timing that we're speaking to someone like this. Richard Maloney is the founder and director of Engage and Grow Global, founder and CEO of Quality Mind Global. Uh, basically, uh, when it comes to uh, giving people a bit of a lift in times of need, he is your man. Uh, Richard, you've probably never been introducing quite that way before, but uh, these are crazy times at the moment, so I hope you don't mind. <laughs> uh, it's great to be on the call, and thanks very much for having me, Tim. It is crazy times, and uh, you know, having uh, two global companies, we really are on the on the front line, hearing everybody's stories, uh, challenges, pressures, and um, getting real time updates on what's really happening around the world. So our eyes are wide open. Uh, Richard, you spent a lot of your time uh, in the sports industry uh, getting the best out of elite athletes. Um, not a lot of sport happening at the moment. So how are you going? <laughs> well, that's one part of our our business, Tim, uh, where it really began in sports going back 20-odd years ago. But uh, uh, luckily enough, we have diversified into the executive world, which, again, isn't going very well. But then we work closely with just everyday people that, uh, to manage pressure, uh, and uh, and anything like these sort of pandemics along the way with IT and technology and mm. so we have a broad broad range of um, audiences. But with the sport, all my athletes are now uh, you could say in lockdown. And so it's about managing their minds from here on in. Yeah, and, and how do you do that? Well, we do weekly calls. All of us get together. So we've got athletes for twelve years right up to our mid thirties. Yep. Um, and so a lot of these athletes were going to the Olympics while we're in the uh, throes of qualifying for the Olympics. Uh, ironically, as you know, the younger you are, the more um, you know, you're able to cope. Mm. Uh, so these young girls are going for Singapore because we've got a lot of internationals. Um, they, they seem to be okay. I think it's more the AFL boys yeah. um, that uh, were ready to go, you could say, and they got their bodies in tip-top position. So, yeah, we meet weekly, um, and we t- we're still running through the program as such because we're all about uh, really managing our state the best yeah. way possible. So it's yeah. good to get connected. And really, I mean, you can you can try to prepare for these sorts of things, but uh, ultimately you, you just kind of have to cope on the fly to some extent, don't you? Yeah, well, it's interesting because as an elite athlete, I mean, they deal with so much anyway. Yeah. And they're on the cold front of terms of managing pressure. Uh, and so so in my eyes, in, in, I guess it's more about their, they've got a window of opportunity of three or four years and they've just seen one whole year disappear. Yep. 
And so that's probably the biggest issue. I mean, because they can get through most levels of adversity these days, especially the ones I work with because we've been working with them for some time. But uh, it's really that um, the loss of capital and, uh, yep. and the dream. Well, yeah, given that it's now at such a professional level, it's not just a hobby and a passion they're losing, isn't it? It's their, their livelihood. Well, I mean, and, and I got a call. Mm. That's right, and and the cash flow. I mean, I don't even taking a hit now, but they're going to go back into a system that's going to probably uh, request them to take further cuts. Yeah. And so, uh, what was uh, a beautiful house maybe down in Portsea, um, maybe now just uh, just getting by. So. Mm. Uh, those are the those are the but but what we really focus on is 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 most importantly and this is for anyone listening I mean whether it's during a pandemic or not but it's about really understanding that you to get your focus completely and utterly as often as possible into the now. Yep. Yep. The more we're in the future, the more energy we lose, the more chance we are of um, of becoming quite ill. Yeah, I think that's the 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 thing that's been uh, hard to balance, isn't it? There, there's such a a hunger for information and you know everyone's an expert now and there's just an overwhelming stream of information just coming towards anyone who switches their phone on or tv or radio on in the morning uh, it's hard not to to feel a little bit anxious isn't it but ultimately um, panic just achieves nothing well it doesn't and uh, I mean everyone's in unique situations aren't they I mean even the homeless uh, even the guys on job search, like to business owners, everyone's got different pressures. Yep. Uh, but what I'm really enjoying, I mean, I just got off a call yesterday with, I've got 17 mind mentors around the world and we all get together and, you know, then people start to go into a, a state of concern. But once you get on the other side and look at the other side of the coin of what's happening of this devastation is obviously there's so much good happening. Yeah. And uh, once we focus on that, uh, then and and that's what I'm really excited about, Tim. Is what's going to happen to the world after this goes through? I can see a collective can, uh, unity starting to pull together already. Imagine what it's going to be like in two months, three months. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll go back uh, over your past uh, in time, Richard. But let's look to the future and gazing into that crystal ball. Uh, what mm-hmm. do you see uh, as positives coming out of this crazy time we're oh. in? Well, ironically, you know, and we'll go back in time a little bit. Oh, uh, 20 years ago, I really started to go on a mystical journey. So I've, um, you know, I've, I've delved heavily into, uh, you know, metaphysics, into uh, all aspects of uh, universal laws and so forth. And I'm excited by this. I don't want to say that too loudly because there's going to be some death and devastation. There's no question there. But what the long-term ramifications will be, I'm hope I'm hopeful that... Well, I'm actually excited that things will look great because the world we were living in, in my eyes, wasn't the advanced society that I want for my three young girls growing up. Yep. And so we're going to see a, 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 a gluing of minds. We're going to see unity, more equality, and people pulling together. Uh, and so if you think about it, you couldn't have one president of, the, of America or, or of a country do this. This sort of taking place now will create... um, will create this advanced society to a degree. It'll be the first stage of many stages, I think, but I think there's going to be a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, hope so. Uh, And it's important to keep that um, that positivity uh, in some part of your mind, isn't it, Uh, as we kind of all wade through this together? 
Mm, yeah. Definitely. Well, it depends. It's all choice, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, your days uh, as a, an elite athlete yourself, uh, and we'll get to that in a moment. But let's go back to the, the very beginning, Richard. Tell us what growing up was like for you. Where, where was it and, and how was it? So I grew up in uh, Bayside, a uh, suburb called Beaumaris here in Melbourne. Yep. Um, in uh, Luckily, in a, a nice family and went to a grammar school up until about year nine. And yep. then I just wasn't fitting in. Uh, sport was the only thing that was, you could say, exciting at that stage. School, I was always that child that had the ability but was uh, never quite focused or interested in, in the, uh, the curriculum. And so at the age of, what, 13, 14, I was asked to leave Maintain Grammar yeah. uh, to the... Uh, you were asked to leave? Of my... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Well, they couldn't officially get pick me out because I'd actually hadn't done anything worthy of that. Um, <laughs> but they knew that I wasn't a fit. Back then, you've got to remember, Tim, I, we used to get caned all the time. So it was a bit of corporal law back then that, um, you know, they had uh, a bit of a ruthless approach. Yep. Um, so anyway, off I went into another school, um, and so I was a bit of a rogue. I was in a lot of trouble with the law at those days to some degree, but not heavy, just you know, causing a bit of uh, havoc. Yeah, and, right. Just a bit of petty crime. Yeah, a bit of petty crime. Just a bored kid that had nothing to do. Uh, was adventurous and creative, and uh, probably didn't put his energies where I should have been. And plus, um, yeah, probably the old adage where my father was working a lot and mum was, you know, too busy. And it was just one of those upbringings. I think a lot yep. of kids my age had. Uh, it, was, it wasn't to the point of uh, I was being detrimental to anything or anyone. But So then I moved on to another school and uh, and I didn't really enjoy that then and I did some stupid things again and then uh, was asked to leave that school. And so uh, it all started to unravel around that stage of 15, 16 for my life, and I actually considered taking suicide. Oh, gosh. That uh, was the lowest point. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, this is the raw, authentic Richard you got here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then uh, luckily, you know, that didn't happen. But uh, I do remember that very clearly. There was that discussion in my head for a week or two. Wow. Um, yeah, and so anyway, what happened was I then got recruited to St Kilda in the AFL, as a uh, 18, 19 year old, Trevor Barker took me there originally. Yeah, right. Uh, the great St Kilda player, and um, and I was counted as that kid to always be drafted and picked up and play AFL football. I was usually the shining light of the captain of the football team. And so anyway, what happened was I got to the St Kilda Football Club, and because I had a fragile mind to some degree in terms of managing my thinking and emotions, a bit wayward and a bit reactionary, I, I got to an elite level of pressure mm. and didn't manage it very well at all. Yeah. And so wasn't equipped to start with. And again, uh, that year that I got there, my parents separated, which was uh, unforeseen. And so that threw another spanner in the, uh, amongst, you know, basically threw me out of whack again. Yeah. And so off I went into um, a bit of a spiral. To the credit to the St Kilda Footy Club, they did give me a couple of sports psychologists to help me through it, uh, but at some stage the horse had bolted. So, uh, but what happened after this was quite life-changing for me, and I guess why I'm, this is why I'm saying this story or going through this journey is because once I got removed on from St Kilda um, without really setting the world on fire at all, you know, I really hit a heartbreak in terms of my dream of being uh, removed and, and was gone forever. So. 
I then um, I then travelled over to Queensland to play in the state leagues. But what happened was I I then fell in such an interesting place in my life that I went asking the question of what's life all about, yeah, and, and who really am I, and, and why are we here? All these yeah, those, those midlife crisis questions. You, really, you had it early. <laughs> no, I had it early. I did, and. Um, and then what happened was I started to fall in love with understanding my mind and understanding uh, the deeper aspects of life further than psychology. As I mentioned earlier about um, you know, metaphysics, quantum physics, and you know I read every book every week, every fortnight on every religion, spirituality, and, yep. and just dug heavily into psychology. And I guess here I am today, 24 years later, you know, um, working with people around the world in multiple countries to give them all the gifts that I learned over the years. So um, that's really where my life took off. Yeah. And my passion was finally evolved because during school I had no passion other than sport, but then I started to love learning. Um, there we go. Clearly you had, uh, you know, some some things deeply embedded in your mind when you got to St Kilda as a, a teenager. Was it just the having to step up into that uh, elite pressure situation there that, that – kind of tipped you over the edge and forced you to to finally address it? Is that sort of how you see it? I see it as, you know, growing up as a... Growing up, I don't think I was really equipped very well to manage pressure mentally. Mm. Uh, but having said that, I could play well, good football. I could play football well in big games, but it just it was my everyday thinking that was probably a bit wayward. So you're right, when I got to the pressure, I wasn't the... I wasn't the best in class anymore. I was one of 44. Mm. And, uh, and so, yes, the, my ability to, to self-regulate and to learn uh, more, you could say, uh, better tools and tips to, to strengthen my approach and resolve, it just wasn't there. It didn't happen. I didn't, wasn't given the tools, even though I had psychologists and so forth. Yep. I didn't connect with them. Um, and so... Uh, in a, it, the gift is that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, right. Well, that's a... based on where I'm at today. Yeah, well, exactly. It's all happened for a reason. And mm-hmm. on and on that cliche that I just threw at you uh, there, <laughs> Richard, um, we need to head to a break. Uh, Richard Maloney is our special guest. This is WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Richard Maloney is our special guest uh, from Engage and Grow Global and also Quality Mind Global. Uh, we were just uh, talking before the break, Richard, about uh, how... Uh, the dream, if you like, unravelled at St Kilda. You've taken off to Queensland. Let's uh, fast forward to the bit where you uh, you head west uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and and started your stint here in Western Australia. How did that come about? So I was playing here in Victoria in the VFL in the grand final for Sandringham Football Club, and I was awarded uh, the Norm Goss Medal in the grand final, which is best on ground. And then, within a uh, blink of an eye, I had probably 20 contracts on the table to travel internationally. I bet, I bet you did. Uh, sorry, nationally. And uh, a Perth friend of mine who I played football with at uh, Southport is Ian Dargy, a Sandover medalist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dargs and I are good buddies from our days playing football in, in Queensland. So he 
persuaded me and, and uh, to come over to Perth and uh, to play football for Subiaco Football Club under the reins of the great Kevin Sparks. Yeah, wow. Uh, it, that's where it began. What, what did you know of, of the waffle and, and of Subiaco before you uh, got that tap on the shoulder? I, my research really did indicate that it was a great state for football. Yeah. Uh, very traditional, um, ingrained for years on the, on the waffle football and it was held in high regard. Uh, and so Perth, um, Subiaco in particular was a club when I got there that was a club that uh, wasn't performing very well over the last 15 years. I think they were getting to finals football not able to capitalise as often as they'd hoped. Mm. So they needed a hand. And so that was uh, ideal for me because um, it was a good opening for me to come in and help them win the flag. Yeah. They've certainly had a fair bit of success in the years since, haven't they? Uh, are you still? Well, they have. Yeah, are you still a, a close follower of of the waffle and particularly the fortunes of Subi? Oh, most definitely. I mean, still got a lot of buddies over there and try yeah. to get over it as often as I can. Having spent seven years in Perth, it was probably the best seven years you know of my life. Really growing up at that yep. that age of uh, mid twenties to early thirties, and so definitely keep an eye on Subiaco and proud of their performances. What were your first impressions uh, when you got to Perth, assuming that you hadn't spent a great deal of time here leading up to that? <laughs> this is a great question. <laughs> well, uh, what I loved, I mean, for instance, when you go and play football in, in the... Um, for instance, when I went to Perth, I went there with a, a focus to win a flag. I went there because I'd stuffed up my St Kilda football career. Yep. I went there to sort of show myself how good I could be. And so I didn't go over there to go on holiday, I went there specifically to get the best out of myself. So yep. you could say that, you know, I, I missed out on a lot of the partying early days because I was just so focused. Uh, and so I guess when a Victorian comes to Perth and plays football, there's always a few battles <laughs> because, um, you know, we, we can be seen as the big brother coming in. I certainly oh, yeah. felt that, that there was some uh, there was some rubbing of relationships and especially in the second year, I think I got the vice captaincy and that ruffled relationships even further. I bet. Yeah. So they didn't, not everyone welcomed you with open arms, you being a Victorian and all. No. No. But, uh, but <laughs> Can you expand matter. on that or are those stories in the vault? <laughs> um, it's hard to explain it. It's just one of those things, you know, because I, I had a, a no-nonsense approach back then because I really wanted a flag. I remember Kim Williamson, the CEO of the Subi Footy Club sitting me down at the uh, one of my first meetings there. He goes, look, Rich, you've got a... Because uh, I'd run five or six flags up until then yep. and in the State League. And he's like, we've we brought you over here to, to get the job done, blah, blah, blah. And I promised him, I said, all right, I won't I won't retire at this club until I, I, I help win that premiership. And, and that's where I was at. And so, uh, you know, every morning I was getting up and doing Tai Chi and training double than everyone else. And so they probably saw me as like, who is this freak? Yeah, but it, uh, he's just not, uh, <laughs> you know, he's looks, he's like the ultimate Victorian or what? Uh, but no, generally speaking, it was fantastic. It was just one of those things I was on a mission. Having said that, I, I'm sure you probably weren't the typical Victorian. I mean, I can't imagine too many VFL players would have been waking up and doing Tai Chi in the morning, right? <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> well, that's that's where I was at. You know, yeah. When I get focused on something, Tim, I uh, I focus. Yeah, it because, sounds um, like it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I've got but to no ask. No one knew that until about now. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
everyone knows it now, Richard. Um, yeah. You know, obviously you, you set yourself on this path, uh, you know, this this spiritual path, this metaphysical path, uh, where you start to absorb all these other uh, practices from other cultures and other religions and, and, and belief systems and whatnot. Um, it, it doesn't always um, fit together in, in people's perspective, at least anyway, of, of footy. It, they, those, those two cultures don't always meld together seamlessly to a lot of people, do they? So uh, were you seen as, as, for want of a better word, a, a bit of a freak? <laughs> well, that's interesting because um, I'd sort of, by the time I got the first, I'd managed to become the chameleon quite well. Yeah. Um, when I was in Southport, well, I'm sorry, Queensland, playing at Southport, that's when I really was in a conundrum because there I was meditating on a Thursday night with, you know, with people and, which is regular stuff now. I yes. mean, every yes. after a club meditates, meditation's become from hippie to, it's a hobby. And so back then it was, you were seen as a, you know, definitely in the category of that guy's a freak, you know? So yep. I, I was out there meditating uh, Thursday nights with people and meeting people. But then I was the one on the football field that was the quickest bloke to get into a punch off. <laughs> and so, you know, so there, there I was with this conundrum. I was like, who am I? <laughs> but, but I quite enjoyed that because yeah. I liked playing that game where, well, I'm always the first at the bar to have a beer with the boys, but at mm. the same time, I'm always looking after my mind and going into that deeper part of life. But, um... <laughs> yeah. Biffo now, Zen later. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yep. Well, let's, let's, let's fix the problem now and then uh, <laughs> process we'll it afterwards. It. Yeah. Um, so. Obviously, you fulfilled that promise uh, at at Subiaco. Um, how did your relationship then with the Fremantle Dockers come about? So I had become friends with uh, well Cameron Schwab. I knew roughly because he's a Victorian, but then uh, I think it's because I played a bit of state football. I had a bit to do with Fremantle Football Club around those times, uh, and then I'd come from a sales background. And Narelle Finch, a good friend of mine now was uh, the uh, head of commercial ops then and uh, she invited me. And I think it's because I had that football background. I did have a bit of a reputation and so I could talk to the sponsors uh, on the level of football and they probably some of them may have known me around that time. So it was a good connection mm. to get people over the line. I guess that's how it yep. all integrated. And as you reflect on that time in, in at Fremantle, I mean, God, you speak to any Frio fan and... It, they they do get a little bit despondent at times about the um, the lack of success over the years. Is there anything any insight you can give us into into why that hasn't happened uh, during their existence to date? Look, you know this is a really big question. I've worked at now six or well, six AFL clubs in some capacity, and yep. it's a really big question. I mean. And it's never like whatever way I see it, it's never exactly how it would be it could be either. So it's a bit of a guesstimate because there's yep. so many things that play in the AFL. I mean, there's the recruiting, there's relationship management, there's it's just so much. And uh I just think uh, back then I don't think in my opinion, and I don't want to step on any toes, but their recruiting back then I just I thought was a bit wayward. Yep. Um but again, having said that I could be wrong because you know, it's it's rose coloured glasses sometimes and I just I couldn't answer that with absolute surety. Yeah, it, it's hard to put your finger on one thing, isn't it? Although very hard. I'll tell you, the free metal fans over here have certainly got some strong opinions on <laughs> where they reckon things have oh, gone uh, awry over the years. Journey but, there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and on it goes. I suppose. Um, well, no one will be um, expecting too much from the season in 2020, um, if we even see much of a season. But that's another 
conversation. Um, just just to be clear, I mean, your your role at Fremantle was uh, commercial partnerships and, and managing those. So, I mean, day to day, what were you what were you actually doing? So I managed LG as the major sponsor, yep. Channel Nine, Channel Ten, uh, Reebok, and so uh, I was more or less doing deals for them, doing their marketing strategies, yep. their creative. So anytime we needed to uh, promote. LG, some capacity, then I was involved in the creative and the execution of that. Again, game days, uh, signage, everything that really built up to that weekend. Yeah. Uh, and also, not only that, securing occasionally new, new partners, but majority, 90% of the time, was just making sure they were happy, they were well-serviced, and that uh, we, we got great return on investment for their expenditure. Yeah. How did you find stepping off the field and into that, uh, well... I wouldn't say equally high pressure, but certainly pressured environment uh, in the commercial uh, part of the business as well. Oh, it was fantastic. It was great. I mean, uh, at that time, Fremantle Football Club was just so, it was just such a great place to work with the leadership of Chris Connolly yep. and Shrubby back then. Uh, we did have a great culture uh, off the field as well in terms of the administration here because yep. we're very separate. And uh, it, was, it was great. I mean, it was full on because we were under pressure. We weren't winning a lot. And so it was management of, uh, of of our corporate partners was the most important thing. But then obviously you've got your membership. But uh, look, I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, you always be, you're in that you're in that game of the AFL. It's such a hard environment. And I think corporate partners are aware of that now somewhat. Mm. And so it, it wasn't an issue at all, Tim. Yeah. I quite enjoyed it. Because yeah. I was working, walking the the Subiaco Stadium every week, uh, going from one corporate box to the other and enjoying a, a quick beer there and a quick yeah. beer there. <laughs> not kept not a bad life. Was there any part of you, Good though, life. when you're you know, still around and, and still, you know, a, a pretty young age as well, Richard, uh, any part of you that was gazing out onto the grass and wishing you were out there, though, still competing oh. at, the, at the very highest level? Don't get me started. Okay. All right. Of course. <laughs> of course. You know, I used to... Uh, I used to really beat myself up and uh, just get really down on myself. And that, I guess, that, uh, but that's, a, that's well and truly gone now. Yeah. There was times where I was like, geez, I just, yeah. I just got to be out there. So that's, mm. I think every uh, ex-AFL footballer has that. You didn't bail uh, Chris Connolly up in the car park at all and say, mate, if your number's short this week, I'm, <laughs> I'm good to go. The boots still lace up okay? No, no, no. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was past it then. Yeah. Uh, Richard, we need to take another break, but uh, I want to talk to you after that uh, about your time, uh, particularly at the Western Bulldogs, which was uh, a fruitful um, time as well uh, for you and mm-hmm. for the club, I suspect. So uh, we'll get into that sure. after the break. Richard Maloney is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Uh, and in this episode, we're chatting to Richard Maloney. Richard, uh, tell me how your stint at Fremantle finished up. So I had uh, was going through a bus stop with a partner of mine, yep. and uh, she wanted to move back to Melbourne. Yep. And it was that time. I'd, done, I'd completed seven years in WA, and I felt like it was time to go home and uh, see my family again. So then that was a quick transition back home. Yep. 
And can I ask... ended up really well at, at Frio. I mean, great relationships. Yeah. We all catch up every year. You know, Kel O'Donnell, myself, uh, you know, the whole lot of us catch up. Yeah. And, and as you now reflect, I suppose it's getting a little further in the rearview mirror, your time uh, at, at Fremantle's. But as you re- reflect on it, um, you know, what do you, what do you miss from, from being over here in the West and, and your time at Frio? Look, I do love the lifestyle of Perth and WA. Uh, I like the simplicity that you have there, and the sun, obviously, yep. uh, and everything's quite accessible and, and uh, easy access in terms of getting around. Yep. We're here in Melbourne, everything's so you know mm. far, and it's a big deal to sort of go to a friend's house over here mm. but, uh, in Perth. It's that simplicity that Especially I really Especially at the moment. I really miss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you got that right. <laughs> Having catch-ups over yeah. Skype these days, that's the, that's well, the that's new right. normal. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Let's fast forward now to to 2010-ish. Um, you end up as the leadership and, and culture coach at the Western Bulldogs. Um, how did that arrangement come about? How did you become part of the setup at the Bulldogs? So I'd started a business at local footy clubs, helping them, and it just grew from there over the course of years. And then uh, mm. Jason Akamanis, for whatever reason, was speaking out about the engagement and culture organisation there uh, at the time. And uh, they were uh, removed. Uh, I think ACCA was removed that year as well. And then I got the opportunity to then go in and, and set the scene as a leadership and culture coach. So I had the players and coaches every Monday uh, and sometimes throughout the week. But um, that's where it began. Now, so there's a, the a colourful character you mentioned there, Jason Ackermanis. Uh, I mean, as someone who has to set the tone for leadership and culture uh, in a footy team, how would you manage someone like ACCA? Well, you sort of can't. You really can't. And so you would you would never recruit it in, put it that way. Right. Okay. Um, you, you don't recruit those guys in their older years. You were, you were there, I think, for, uh, I suppose, a, a period that really sets uh, the Bulldogs up for their flag in, in 2016. You know, a lot of good recruits called in, and it seemed like the club uh, turned a corner during that, that period um, that you were there. Um, don't be humble for a moment, Richard, but uh, can you take a fair degree of the credit for that? Again, you know, there's so many uh, pieces of the of the chessboard that you need to put in play. There's no question, I mean, that we all played a part uh, to what degree everyone is arguably, you know, going to debate over. But when it comes to culture, when it comes to team unity, that was what my area. And I guess if you've seen a growth area in there, then you could say that there was an advancement mm. there. Yep. Um you know, when when your role is to develop a, a united team there uh, and to bring out those leadership skills uh, in players, just just to go back to to Acker for, for a moment, um, how tough was it to come in there and and kind of, I suppose, just put your own mark on the place and and try to develop that bond between the players when you do have some fairly you know loud and headline grabbing and divisive characters mm. in the mix. Look, you know, the first year, I couldn't even get a leadership. I mean, Matthew Boyd was given the captaincy for the first year. And he's more or less said to me, I really need your help. Probably a bit out of my depth here. So we formed a strong nucleus. And then I had to get more leaders around him, which weren't forthcoming. I mean, Gia Syracuse was, Crossy, uh, these guys, but the ones like Cooney and that, they weren't too uh, excited to be in a leadership group. So we couldn't really get a strong leadership group happening where everyone was wholly accountable to their actions. So... Mm. That first 12 months was about really getting a common vision, a, uh, 
everyone on the same page because, I mean, like all organisations who work around the world, if you don't have a strong leadership group, then, you know, you really are going to struggle. Um, so that was the first biggest issue. Then we had players that weren't delivering big games. They were there probably just getting a paycheck. Uh, so there was a lot of honest conversations. So we had to, you could shake the uh, the team quite somewhat, but at mm. that time too, Tim, under Rodney Ede, they were losing considerably where they were probably touted to be a finals team when I first got there. And the anxiety in the team was just profound. I mean, every Monday morning they'd put their hoodies over their head, tie it up really tight and just go in there and literally wait to be baked. Mm. And uh, and that was the culture. Yeah. Um, so quite a lot on your plate then. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we, we started to get some runs uh, in the second year. We built a really strong emerging leadership group. We moved people out of a leadership group that weren't 100% in. So we yep. started to see some breakthroughs. Ben Graham was my right-hand man there, who's the ex-NFL and Geelong superstar. He was fantastic. So he was reading the play when I wasn't there. So we were being agile and flexible in terms of our approach. Yep. Uh, and then uh, in the third year, we built in a whole club program, which is, in my eyes, quite profound in terms of how we got people to connect, be honest, build firm relationships. And, uh, and, and so the environment became quite, you could say, um, it became quite relaxed and became quite friendly where that anxiety had gone. And so it's like any sports teams, you're only as good as your off-field performance. If your mm. off-field performance is going well, then your on-field performance usually reflects it. In terms of your own story to that date, I mean, you'd, you'd had your own um, AFL dream and you, and you realised that to some extent uh, at St Kilda before it, it kind of came apart a little bit. And then you've you've done the interstate thing, Queensland, WA, you're back over there. You've done some in the corporate sector as well at a footy club. Um, how much of that journey fed into what you were telling the, the players individually um, when you're trying to get them to uh, to lift and improve themselves when, you, when you're dealing with the Western Bulldogs players there? Well, I got to a stage where I'd had a fair bit of respect from the playing group. And so uh, I was able to build really strong firm relationships individually with the majority of them. Yep. Um, and that's, I guess, that's how I pretty much designed the business quality mind because I started to see patterns in AFL and elite athletes where they were going to get themselves injured to some degree because I could just see the frailness and, and the fear in their eyes or the um, they had like a, um, a jittering of their motor internally. So... Um, there was a lot of coaching, a lot of uh, getting rid of fear, um, relaxing their minds and uh, putting them at ease, and which make, makes them allows them to play in a free-flowing fashion. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's how close I got. So you know, once you get that close to them, and, and these guys just want to perform, it's uh, it's just a, it's just a process after that. So, so what would you actually be doing on game day? Were you in contact with the players? On, on game day and, and during the games? Yes. If, yep. uh, every game, every player has their, their, their certain warm-up or, or, or processes. But even today, I mean, probably most of a bunch of my athletes I'll speak to prior to the game or a text message just to make sure they're, they're on. Yep. Uh, and so we have like a... We, we use a 100-point plan process and a performance plan that we work towards. And really, the way I see the world now with my athletes uh, is 70% to 80% of their their on-field performance is really uh, how they manage themselves after the game through to the next game. Yeah. How many of the Bulldogs Bulldogs players did you manage to um, get on board with the Tai Chi? (laughs) (laughs) No no Tai Chi, but I was running meditation sessions there. Yeah. And so I was constantly going in there weekly and then I was giving them guided meditation. 
yep. um, and so forth. And, and But now I've got a mobile phone app for that so they can do that whenever. Well, exactly. It's 2020 after all, isn't it? <laughs> if it's not on an app, <laughs> does it even exist? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Richard, I want to talk to you about how your um, your business really expanded beyond just the sporting uh, environment into the, the corporate and executive scene uh, as well. Uh, we'll get into that right after the break. Richard Maloney is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest in this episode is Richard Maloney. Uh, We were just talking about uh, his time at the Western Bulldogs uh, there uh, as their leadership and culture coach. Uh, Fair to say that uh, you've been a very, very busy man since that stint uh, wrapped up at the end of 2014, Richard. Your business has uh, just exploded globally and gone well beyond uh, just the sporting uh, world. How did you do it? And and, and give us a picture of, of what you've got in place at the moment globally. Very quickly, I've, I've figured out uh, over the years how to systemise and bring team success uh, to life very quickly. So fast track that. So all the teams I worked with had a lot of success. And then all of a sudden, the members, the football supporters, the directors started to see how quickly we'd change culture in the sports teams. And then they started to ask me to do their, to run it in their businesses. And that happened. And then word just kept going organically. And then I did a partnership with a gentleman who's a, a very big international business coach, Brad Sugars. And Brad helped me launch it overseas. And we, within two years, were in 35 countries. With, and then we licensed it out uh, to other HR managers, business coaches, which is a sports model, but then turned into a business success model. And yep. now we've got over 400 licensees. Just just give me the quick snapshot. The Maloney method, without giving too mm-hmm. many secrets away, like what is it? What If I, if I subscribe to the Maloney method, mm-hmm. how am I going to be transformed into a, a much better me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't get much better than the moment. Um, <laughs> you don't know you me, Richard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, look, it's it's about uh, a five-step process. Yep. We use it. This is Quality Mind now. So that was Engage and Grow I spoke about. Yep. Now, Quality Mind come off the back of that because Engage and Grow is a group activation system. Quality Mind uh, is a personal activation system, which is done through mobile phone technology plus uh, for mentoring along the way. So it's a system that really allows you to retrain your thinking because, as I said earlier, coming through school, I didn't have a strong mind to bounce off when pressure came off. So we're really setting in the minds of kids and adults how to build a firm foundation in the mind. Mm. And that's through retraining, cleaning your, cleaning everything out that you don't need, uh, getting to the place where you're really clear on what you want to create and then yep. living that dream. Um, so it, it isn't something I could just give you over 30 seconds, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. I, I better sign up then in a more comprehensive way. <laughs> Uh, exciting news too! You've got another book coming out. Uh, I say another one because you've got uh, a few books uh, to your name already. Uh, but this one that's coming out uh, in the coming months, the title is almost eerily appropriate for these uh, interesting times that we're in: stress-free managing pressure in unprecedented times. Um, I, I'm guessing you came up with that, unless you do have uh, some sort of window into the future. 
uh, Richard, with all of your training. I'm guessing you came up before this whole crisis, uh, virus crisis was upon us. Um, it's well, eerily true, though, at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the book was coming out stress-free always uh, for business leaders and mums and dads and so forth. But mm. it really has now gone to the next level. And I've advanced the book as we're speaking right now to manage these unprecedented times. Um, and so, uh, yes, it's, um, it is designed especially for people under duress yep. and pressure. Uh, and really that at its core is, is where we're at. People who manage pressure the best live the best lives in, uh, in terms of uh, their energy levels, in terms of their health, in terms of their wealth and their relationships. Yep. So really excited by this. Um, and uh, it really goes into how to get yourself there. So it's a self-coaching book. Yep. Richard, the, the, the premise of this program is inspiring stories. I'm guessing that you have had some inspiring people in your life uh, over your, your years, uh, particularly given the, the sorts of things you've had to process um, over the years, um, you know, going back mm-hmm. to, to childhood. Who are the people that have inspired you? Well, that's a really good question without warning. Um, I've had so yeah, many sorry inspiring about people, but <laughs> that's okay. But, but along the lines, and this is really important, I think, is I've had so many uninspiring people like coaches and leaders in the workplace that show me not what to do. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's both sides of the coin there. Uh, in terms of inspiration, I mean, I've got coaches all around the world who leading industries, CEOs that I'm very close to, executives of the top level, right down to just uh, uh, mums and dads who I find highly uh, inspirational or motivational in terms of their, their focus towards life and raising kids. So to put a, uh, an absolute name on it and say that person there, I mean, there's, there's types like Brad Sugars, who's my business partner. He's an inspiration to me in the way he has created a global business. He's in a thousand licensees in 80 countries and what he continues to do to change the world in such a great manner is hugely inspiring. Um, so there's all those sorts of people, Tim, but to be to be clear on one or two, I mean, that's that's Brad, but there's just so many mm. that, I could, uh, that I could name. Do they have all have a, a common X factor to you that, that that resonates with you? Well, they're just they're just goers and doers and achievers. Yep. And they're never complaining. They're never victims of life. Um, and they just look at the, uh, the, the the sunny side of life. Mm. And they're always learning. And they're, it's their groups of people that they then hang around. Um, the people that really want to make a change on the planet. I mean, I'm here to help people. Uh, to shine a bright light in dark situations, hence why the book is called Managing Pressure in Unprecedented Times. Yep. Um, and with athletes that are at the, the doldrums of their careers, I go in there and, and shine the bright light for them to get back on track because I didn't have that when I was an athlete. I didn't have the, the ability to manage pressure when I was there. And so all these years have come through for these gifts to give other people is what I'm here for. Well, Richard, I imagine you're going to be a very, very busy man in the months and possibly years ahead. Uh, as we uh, come out of uh, this current saga, whenever that uh, may be. So uh, all the best going forward um, and look forward to the book coming out. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you very much for inviting me on. Thanks, Richard. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little moments are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything.
When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.